Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Physicians Helping Attorneys, Helping People. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and as always, I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hey, Armin. It's great to be back on the air with you. Absolutely. Hey, I I heard it's been quite the rainy season out there in Colorado. Yes. You know, it has been... uh, of uh, biblical proportions, you know, monsoon proportions here in Denver. So I, th- I think we even talked about that in one of our last podcast episodes. So anyone who's not in, in Denver is going to think that it's just, uh, <laughs> it's like the rainy season. <laughs> yeah, well, this has been just uh, out of the ordinary. I, I should tell you a funny story. So uh, we had tickets to see with some friends uh, in fact, uh, the guy is a former uh, coaching member, somebody I trained years ago, and he and his wife and Holly and I are good friends now. And um, so we had tickets to Bare Naked Ladies at Red Rocks. I think most people mm-hmm. know about Red Rocks, right? So uh, a week ago last Tuesday, it was the only night in maybe certainly two weeks, maybe three weeks that it didn't rain. So, I mean, the, the music gods were looking down on us. How nice. Yeah. I, it's a bucket list item for me to go to Red Rocks, by oh, the way. Oh, it's so beautiful. And you had a milestone too, right? I want to. Yeah, big week. Yeah. 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 Big week. Wanna, My wife and I celebrated uh, 20 years of marriage yesterday. Yeah. Congratulations. That is just awesome. I don't know where the time goes, though. I know. But yeah. Yeah. It's an accomplishment these days, right? It is, yeah. and to be uh, happy and and you know in a in a spot where you, it's just yeah, it's just wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have uh, a good show today. My plan is to discuss cases. We have a theme, in fact, mm-hmm. today, and that theme is standard of care uh, cases that we've done medical malpractice merit analysis on, where the cases were interesting, complicated, but ultimately did we did not believe that the cases had merits worth pursuing. Right. In fact, Mike, I, I just want to uh, give you further kudos. I've been doing this every week, it seems, but give you further kudos because in looking at your case, I mean, the, the medical issues were complicated, sophisticated, and not only did you tease them out, but made them uh, uh, understandable in plain English for people that aren't physicians to really help the attorney tease out the issues. Well, since we're not acting as as traditional medical experts, I feel like that's my primary role is mm-hmm. to really deliver that digestible information on the key medical aspects of cases. In these cases, with regards to merit 
and the standard of care so that my attorneys know right off the bat in the early stages, what do I do with this? Mm. Is it, is it a, is it a politely decline or is it a get all, all hands on deck, start hiring experts and paying retainers to, to press forward? Yeah. So want to talk about this uh, interesting one about, uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. This, so this case occurred, um, um, in the in the Midwest and was involved a, a man in the Middle Ages who had a tooth extraction mm-hmm. performed. Later the same day, he's feeling a significant amount of pain, and he goes to the ER. And they did a nerve block on him, and they did a CT scan to make sure that he didn't have an abscess. But as you and I would know, at least as physicians who've treated abscesses and surgeons. Mm-hmm. I, I know that you, it's unlikely to see an abscess within hours right. after a procedure. Right. You know, the body, bacteria need time to grow and form an abscess. But nonetheless, if, if someone's in excruciating pain, you're obligated to, to look for, uh, you know, maybe it was a jaw fracture they were looking for, um, some type of bleeding, whether he had a hematoma or something. But they, nonetheless, they did a CT scan of his face and it... It showed no discrete fluid collection and just some uh, fat changes that looked like inflammatory after the procedure. It's mm-hmm. pretty understandable. So they gave him pain medication and sent him home. Okay. This gentleman came back two days later in persistent pain and continued the whole time to have pain. And they checked some labs and it showed that his white count was still elevated. And they showed some, they mentioned some swelling at this visit and they, um, he had had a CT scan again Mm -hmm. because of this pain. And now it makes a little bit more sense, uh, to, uh, you know, maybe see an abscess, but again, it was normal. Mm -hmm. And so they, uh, they sent him home, uh, after doing, you know, an additional nerve block and, uh, I should mention that this is uh, was done at a, an academic center. Okay. This was uh, not like a um, independent emergency room or somewhere that uh, doesn't have the necessary uh, services nearby. In fact, they even consulted facial maxillary surgeons mm. uh, on the phone to discuss management. Okay. And they documented that. And if I could so that, also jump in, uh, maybe I'm saying the obvious, but when you said that uh, he... he did not have an elevated white count. What you're referring to for the people listening that aren't doctors is he had he did not have an elevated white blood cell count when they did a, a complete uh, blood count, a CBC. And an elevated white count is almost uh, uh, pathognomonic is what we'd call it, but almost a com- uh, hundred percent indicator that there would be an infection there. That's exactly right. So he went home again and now he comes back two days again later, continues to have significant pain with some difficulty opening his mouth and some difficulty swallowing. They do an exam and they, they assume that, you know, he, continues to have this pain and they consider doing another CT scan, but then they note he's had two CT scans since the procedure was done. No evidence of fracture or drainable fluid collection. 
We discussed another dental block with him. We do not believe he is in any significant risk of postoperative infection at this time. Okay. And so they they again give him uh, the, an evaluation. They, he's on antibiotics, um, and they send him home. He comes back the following day, and at this time, he stated that the pain moved into his jaw, down to his neck, mm. bilaterally. He's not opening his mouth the whole way. Mm. They get a CT scan and, in fact, diagnose the very rare but very serious Ludwig's angina. And this condition is specifically a cellulitis. So it's not a abscess per se, but it's an infection of the tissue. It's a bacterial infection of the tissue that affects your neck and the floor of your mouth. Uh It's not contagious. It usually starts from a tooth infection, an abscess tooth, Uh and it can spread rapidly. And so this attorney's client this patient was extremely frustrated. He had been at the ER. How many times did we count? One, two, three. Three, yeah. three times. And what ultimately happened, He had to, even though they diagnosed it, he got rushed to the ICU, oh. had to be intubated, oh and God. spent a, a week in the ICU receiving intravenous antibiotics. He had to have a, a drain put into his neck. Mm-hmm. And he was very upset that this had been missed, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. So my attorney sent it to me to look at, and we did a very fine-toothed comb analysis of every visit. Mm-hmm. And, well, our listeners already know the punchline because we're discussing cases that I ultimately did not recommend to have merit. But what's interesting about this is what it came down to was a note that was written on the second to last ER visit, the one before it was diagnosed, mm-hmm. the one where you might have said, man, it should have been present at that time, right? How did they not order another CT scan? If, if only they had ordered a CT scan whenever they wrote out that they, they weren't going to do one. Right. They would have caught this and saved this gentleman, likely intubation and time in the ICU. But the, the, uh, the doc who saw this gentleman in the ER did a note. And I believe the case hinged on this one note. And it, it really came down to identifying how many finger breaths Wow! It's mm-hmm. that he could open his mouth. Mm-hmm. It, it said it could open at two to three. There was no purulence at the site the tooth was changed. No pus. Uh, removed. No pus. There were no skin changes or swelling in the submandibular or submental region. And this was all in this note. This was all, yes, okay. very clearly put in this note um, under the exam of the face and, and mouth. Uh-huh. And there was no appreciable intraoral swelling. Uh-huh. And tenderness did exist in the right mandible without erythema or significant edema. Uh-huh. And this was a very thorough way to describe the patient almost to a non, to a, to an ER doc that, that wasn't there. It's, it's very it's essentially defensively ruling out Ludwig's angina. Right. Because that it's a clinical diagnosis how this is made. Uh-huh. And so what I ultimately told my attorney is I said, I believe that if a CT scan was ordered at the time he presented that third visit, that he would have been diagnosed. However, the it, Ludwig's angina is a clinical diagnosis. It's commonly accepted as that. It's rare. And this 
physician did a wonderful job ruling out that diagnosis clinically at that time. And that was reasonable and appropriate for another physician at that time. Oh, very interesting. So probably, uh, I think you would agree with me, 99 out of 100 doctors would be thinking an abscess, a collection uh, of pus that's uh, usually encapsulated or uh, in a pocket somewhere. And they, they, certainly after a dental procedure, they didn't see that. So now they're coming down to this incredibly rare condition that actually the ER doc was aware of and wrote a pretty good explanation as to why at that moment it sure didn't look uh, like uh, Ludwig's uh, angina. That's exactly right. I think he's, he saved in that note litigation that would have been, uh, it would have been very problematic because it, this, I think anyone just common sense wise would have said, how, how could they have missed this? But that note made it very clear. Right. And and it really uh, gave an indication that uh, this was certainly unfortunate for this man, but uh, it gave an indication that the doctors were kind of spot on, weren't they? I mean, they had this in their mind, uh, but there wasn't the evidence yet. It wasn't like you could do a blood test and there's a marker for this or something, but there wasn't evidence for this yet showing up on the clinical presentation. That's exactly right. Documentation can save the day if you're a doctor looking to avoid litigation. Yeah. So um, how long did it take you to find that note? Well, it was in there, mm-hmm. but it took it only took about three hours, two to three mm-hmm. hours of total review to get to this conclusion. So it was a really affordable way for my attorneys to realize that they they didn't want to pursue this case. Yeah. yeah. So you save the attorney time, money, and aggravation on a case that most likely they uh, they weren't going to uh, be able to bring forward. Uh, in, in a positive way in a, in a negotiated settlement or a trial. And um, you helped the client of the attorney to better understand uh, exactly what happened in that process, even though he went through some uh, hell and misery. I'm so glad you mentioned that last part because so many of my attorneys, after we discuss these cases that do not have merit, they they tell me exactly what you said as they they're hanging up. They're like, well, Dr. Bummer, this, this uh, is so helpful. It's really going to help me explain and give this, this client closure for them to understand how this was missed or why this complication occurred. So thanks for bringing that up. I often forget that because we're in a tunnel. We're just looking to help our attorneys, you know, understand the truth and figure out what standard of care is on these I don't always see that that helps them really do their job better and and more comfortably explain these things to their clients. Yeah. Yeah. What about your case? Yeah. So this is an incredibly sad case, incredibly sad medical uh, occurrence. And uh, I'm sure that this uh, must have been just horrible uh, for uh, the uh family, particularly the husband of this woman uh, who had this problem that I'll uh, describe. So, uh, in fact, it was the husband that went to my attorney client uh, saying um, this woman uh, died from uh, the uh, 
disease that she had that I'll talk about in just a second. But uh, I can see why uh, this uh, bereaved husband thought something was wrong here. And so the attorney asked me to take a look. So this is a case of a 32-year-old woman, relatively young woman, in excellent health. Uh, she had two young children, no problems with the pregnancies. Uh, she was an active person. She uh, exercised. Uh, she uh, tried to lead a you know a healthy lifestyle. She worked and she had the acute onset of very severe low back pain. Never had had low back pain before. So she goes to the ER. And at the ER, of course, they get a history. They do a physical exam. They did a, a, a lumbar uh, spine x-ray, which really was negative. It really didn't show anything at this point. And so they made a diagnosis of uh, low back pain and told this woman to follow up with her uh, primary care physician, her PCP, which she did. Um, and she saw the PCP. He did another physical exam. He actually did some uh, blood work, which was all uh, normal. And he did what any PCP would do. Uh, he said, what you should start with is some physical therapy. He did give her some medications for pain on it, you know, for a short period of time. And she started the uh, physical therapy. And this was... This has, to, this has to happen every day across America, yeah, what you're describing. Yeah, that's okay. right. Um, and this happened, by the way, uh, in early part of September. And so towards the end of sep uh, September, she actually had to go back to the ER for another bout of this pain. Uh, they uh, examined her again. They did another uh, lumbar spine x-ray, which was normal, and uh, told her to hmm. go back to the PCP. Uh, and he said, continue with the physical therapy, which she did. And so uh, she got a little bit of relief. Then in mid-October, she went back to her uh, primary care doctor, and she had was having some abdominal pain. And he again examined her. He uh, did some further blood tests that were all normal. Uh, and he decided, well, we better get a CT scan of your abdomen. Uh, and that CT scan, it showed uh, essentially normal. There was no evidence of a primary or uh, metastatic cancer. Uh, and she continued her course of physical therapy, taking some medications and so forth. Somewhere along the line there, in the next month in November, she went to an urgent care for uh, another flare-up of this pain. And because of that, she goes back to her PCP on December. Now it's December, uh, middle of September. And he said, well, this has been going on a while. Let's get a lumbar MRI. So uh, the lumbar uh, MRI uh, showed a couple of things. The first, and I'm just going to read from the report. Um, the lumbar MRI said, multiple signal abnormalities throughout the bone marrow 
are probable atypical hemangiomas, which are benign blood vessel formations. The report goes on to say metastatic disease can have this appearance, but this is considered very unlikely in a patient of this age without a primary malignancy. Now, here's kind of the hooker. She did have two crushed discs, one at L4, L5, and one at L5, S1. So this um, very much concerned her PCP uh, and the, uh, he, by the way, the lumbar MRI was on December 21st. Um, and so he got concerned at this point that something serious might be going on. Now, of course, Christmas happened, right? And so there was some lull there. Then at the very first week of January, uh, an abdominal ultrasound was done because of this abdominal pain. And it showed, uh, again, I'm reading from the report, multiple nonspecific liver parenchymal hypopoic foci, none of which were clearly visible on comparison MRI or CT scans. Now, that finding is an abnormality, but it's not cancer. So uh, at this point, uh, she had no evidence of cancer. Her, her blood tests were still normal. Her, normal. her x-rays had been normal. Her physical exams uh, had been normal. Uh, but uh, everybody was getting worried uh, at this point. And so uh, the, next, the next week, she had a whole body PET scan done. And unfortunately, uh, the whole body PET scan showed metastatic disease, cancer. They never did find a primary site, but metastatic disease in her lungs, bone, brain, and liver. And this is the first time uh, that cancer had been identified in all of the uh, testing and all of the blood tests of all the imaging of all the x-rays uh, and uh, the physical exams and so forth. So what about that scan back in December where you said there was a hint? Remember where you right, said the, right. Yeah. Um, those were benign blood vessel malformations, uh, uh, most likely in a healthy they knew her history. She was a healthy 32-year-old mm. woman uh, with no uh, history of um, disease of any kind, no history uh, of cancer in the family that they knew of and so forth. So it was uh, I th my uh, opinion that, oh, I should also say that this was an extremely aggressive, fulminant cancer. And unfortunately, this woman died two weeks after the PET scan. Wow. Yeah. And so um, it, my opinion to a reasonable degree of medical probability is that the doctors essentially did everything right. Uh, that um, it was Unfortunate, it was a, just a you know just a sad situation that at the time that the diagnosis of cancer could be made, uh, there just wasn't because of the aggressiveness of the cancer, uh, there was just not enough time 
to treat this woman either to prolong or to save her life. Uh, you know, Armin, one of the angles that I, if I were reviewing this case, even if a uh, question that I might get would be if it was diagnosed in December or January, from a causation perspective, separate from standard of care, would it have made a difference? And I believe in this case, given how quickly it progressed, it would be highly speculative to even assume that a diagnosis a month or two prior may have led to a significantly different prognosis. Yeah, you know, I didn't even put that in my report, but I think that's uh, a good uh, thing I should maybe should have put in that report. But, you know, the movie, uh, The Perfect Storm, well, it (laughs) wasn't perfect for the people on the boat, right? I mean, it was a perfect storm to kill them. And um, this, I think, was the same situation, was that it was just a perfect storm of unfortunate uh, incident, you know, unfortunate circumstances that uh, that by the time that the diagnosis could be made, uh, it was too late. You know, our cases were not that dissimilar because this woman, similar to my gentleman, had seemingly paid attention to symptoms, had seeked health care, had scans done. And I think she also is not to blame in any way, shape, or form for uh, a kind of a ignorance to the symptoms that she's experiencing. So I think that right. there's uh, there's an interesting component where our attorneys may have very, very rightfully so wanted to explore with a trained eye where we stepped in to say, these these people had scans, they had healthcare provided to them, yet they still fell victim to their condition. Right. And how did that happen? And what's great about our attorneys, I'm sure the ones you work with are very similar. They they get it. They just don't necessarily have all the nuances that they understand. But when when explained, they uh, they are very understanding and appreciative of these angles. Right. You know, Mike, it's funny you should say that because what this attorney wanted me to do was write an opinion letter. And the opinion letter was really so he could give this husband of the woman that died my report and go over it with him to show him, look, you know, this is what happened. It was uh, one of those incredibly unfortunate things. There's really nothing that the doctors did wrong. You know, right at the beginning when I was talking about this case, you said, how many, you didn't say quite these words, but how many thousands of people a week go to the ER with acute back pain? uh, And uh, what percentage of those turn out to be this situation? I mean, it's got to be less than one-tenth of one percent, right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I really enjoyed today's topic. Yeah. Um, I, in fact, Mike, I was, we have talked about this before, but you do a lot of these reports, and uh, the, the attorney always doesn't need a written report, of course. Sometimes, you're, most of the time, your report's verbal. But um, you told me that uh, you're doing a, about 80% of the time, you're finding that there wouldn't be merit. Is, it, was that right? Yes, that's about right. I still stand by that. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it's, it saves a lot of uh, 
grief, uh, aggravation, time, money uh, for uh, us to be able to help the attorney uh, and uh, help the uh, person that's involved in this or the family uh, to help them better understand too. Anything else on this? No. Okay. I say we wrap up and ramp up for next time. Good. Uh, so as I've uh, said a few times now in the past few uh, episodes, we watch, we're able to watch the numbers of people that are listening. Every, with every episode, we are in, uh, getting an increase in our listenership. Uh, Mike and I want to thank all of you. Uh, for listening. Uh, if you uh, are finding the uh, podcast to be interesting, uh, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. If you have a question, if you have a comment, and certainly for our attorney listeners, if you have a case, please get a hold of us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And uh, we look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com.